Good morning, everyone. It is a pleasure to be here with you today, and I pray that uh, as the scriptures tell us, I, I was glad when they said to me, let us go in the house of the Lord. How many of you experienced that this morning? Anybody? Amen? Amen? I remember being quoted that as a kid growing up. My mom and dad would say, you are glad that you can go to the house of the Lord. Unfortunately, I wasn't always glad that I could go to the house of the Lord. And after 30 or 35 years of standing in front of people in church on Sunday morning, I can guarantee you there are a lot of other people that aren't glad that they can go in the house of the Lord either. It's good to see people smiling and laughing and enjoying being in God's house. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we get started? Father, we come before you today and we do thank you and praise you because it is, Lord, indeed a privilege and an opportunity to be here today one that we're thankful for, one that we're very mindful of. And we pray that as we're here and as we have already worshiped you in spirit and in truth, that we would continue that as we respond to what you have called us to. Take us, Lord, and make us into the people that you need us to be. Create in us, Lord, the spirit that loves you with everything that we are and loves others. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. What caused you to stop? What caused you to get stuck where you're at? I have a friend of mine who took his family to Disney World and to break up the week they went to the water park. And if you've been there, there is a water slide there that is called the Summit Plummet. And the Summit Plummet is kind of a magnificent ride, if you will. One that turn stomachs when you stand at the bottom and look at it. And my friend had an eight-year-old son that wanted to ride the Summit Plummet, but he was just a little bit apprehensive. He was a little bit afraid. And my friend, being the, the strong dad that he is, was encouraging his son, look, you know what? You can do this. Be strong. Be courageous. All you need to do is just take one step at a time. All you got to do is climb those stairs and get to the top, and then all you have to do is just let go. And so his son mustered up all the courage that he could, and his dad went with him, and he walked up every step, and he got to the top, and he sat down. And you know, at all these rides, it's usually like a teenager who's running the ride, right? And she says to the little boy, you'll be all right. Just let go, and there's nothing else you have to do except enjoy the ride. And he looks up to his dad, and his dad says, just let go, son. There's nothing to it. You'll have a great time. And he let go, and his son went down the slide, and he said, I was such a proud dad. And he said, then I stood there, and I realized, I have to go next, <laughs> right? And the teenager running the slide says, sir, you have to sit down and let go too. What caused you to get stuck? What caused you to stop in the midst of something that you know you should be doing, something that... You made a commitment to do, but you've stopped. You don't really know why. <clears throat> you don't really, can't really explain why you're not reading your Bible on a regular basis anymore. You can't really explain why you quit visiting that person that you know was so blessed by your visit. You can't really explain why you didn't continue on that path to do that ministry that God laid upon your heart. But, but you know you got stuck and you know you stopped. If you look in the Bible at Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16, we have a story that many of you have heard, and you've probably heard it in different contexts, and what I want to share it today, it's, it's the story of who we usually call the rich young ruler. 
And, and usually we talk about this in the context of our giving and our generosity and those sorts of things. But I want you to look at it in a bit of a different way today. I want you to look at it as a guy who got stuck. A guy who was on a journey but stopped short of experiencing what God had for him. In Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16, the word says this. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Of God. Now I want you to think about this in just a little bit of a, a different way this morning. I want you to think about how far this young man had come on this journey of faith and investigation of Jesus Christ. He, here is a guy who had lived the way God had called him to live his whole life. Here is a guy who had obeyed better than most of us, I would say, the commandments found in God's holy word. Here is a man who sought out Jesus to ask Jesus, what else do I need to do? What else do I have to do to have this eternal life that you're talking about? Here is a guy who has come this entire journey, but then Jesus tells him this one thing, and he stops dead in his tracks. He gets stuck. And what I want you to think about today is what this guy missed because he didn't follow through. What he missed because he didn't, as we all just sang so beautifully, surrender all. What he missed because he got stuck. Years ago, I was on the, the, the group that, that began the partnership with Russia Missions and, and the West Virginia Baptist Convention. And there were six of us who traveled to Russia to uh, kind of put this partnership together and meet with people around Russia. And it, it was a, a great opportunity to go and, and to just do ministry and to meet people. But there's one thing about this trip that, that just absolutely grabbed me, and it was that you can't drive to Moscow, right? I hate to fly. I am terrified of flying. I can say that I can preach to you all you want me to preach to you about faith, but I have very little faith when it comes to getting on an airplane, whirling 700 mile an hour through the air in a hunk of metal with some guy that's 35 years old at the controls, okay? I have very little faith when I get on an airplane. And, and so I had to fly a long ways to go to Russia. I'm standing at the Wood County Airport to get on the first leg, or the, the Charleston Airport. I wouldn't dare go to the Wood County Airport. And to go on the first leg of the journey to Charleston. And my wife is there. She's taking a day off. This is serious, folks, when I'm telling how terrified I am. She takes a day off to hold my hand. 
The flight gets delayed. We walk around the airport. They come on. They say, it's time to get on the airplane. And I look at my wife, and with all that I could muster, I looked her right in the eyes, and I said, I'm not going. And my wife is the most loving, generous person in the world, sweet, sweet person. And in her sweet, sweet way, she looked at me and said, yes, you are. Man up, turn around, and walk down and get on that plane, right? And with almost... I'm going to kill myself on that here in a minute. With almost tears in my eyes, I say that because I'm ashamed to say there were tears in my eyes, I went down that aisle and I got on that airplane. And that next 13 days changed my life. It changed the way I do ministry. It changed the way I see people. It changed my level of joy and happiness It changed everything about me, and had I not got on that plane, I would have been stuck. I would have missed what God had for me on this journey. Why did you stop? What caused you to get stuck? It happens to every one of us at points in our life. We're on this faith journey, and something keeps us from becoming all that we can be in Christ, keeps us from experiencing all that Jesus wants for us. And the question then becomes for every one of us, how do we get unstuck? How do we take that next step? How do we start again? What do we need to do to make sure that we don't miss out on what God has for us? To answer this, I want to go to the scripture and just look at some principles that that I think might help us make sure that we we don't stop and we don't get stuck. And if we are stopped and stuck, that we can move forward. And the first is this, that this faith journey is a journey of faith. I know that might not make a lot of sense. This faith journey is a journey of faith. But but I just want you to concentrate on that word journey. You've heard this probably over and over again. But what does it really, really mean? Well, first of all, what it means is that faith is involved in more than just the beginning of our journey. Faith is exercised every single day on this entire journey. The Bible says we what? We walk by faith. I grew up in a tradition that was heavily, heavily centered on that day when you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I believe in that. I believe that there is a point in your life where you exercise that faith and you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and he forgives you of those sins. The problem is, is so often we kind of act like that's the only thing God wants out of us is that one day in our life. I don't know about you. But God has asked me to exercise faith every single day of my life. There are things he wants me to do that aren't easy. There are things he wants me to do that scare me to death. There are things he wants me to do that take more than I actually have. And I have to exercise that faith on a daily and a regular basis. I landed in Moscow. It seemed like a week later of layovers and being on planes, my friends... My wonderful friends slept on all these planes. I never slept one single minute. I never have slept one single minute on a plane. I've flown all over the world. I can't sleep at all. I land in Moscow. And the wonderful thing is, is when you get off the plane in Moscow, see, here's the way I fly. I'm going to digress. The way I fly is I convince myself that I'm okay dying on that trip. I get all my affairs in order. 
I say everything I need to say to the people that I love. I make sure everything financially is taken care of. And then I assume I'm not going to make it. So when I land, it's the most ecstatic, euphoric feeling in the world. I made it, right? I made it to Moscow. I, I'm standing here, growing up in the 80s, you know, Red Dawn and, and Rambo and all of that. I'm standing here in Moscow, and it hits me. In three days, I have to fly from Moscow to Kiev in the Ukraine. So all of the euphoria of the fact that I just flew this all the way across the ocean is replaced to I have to fly on the most unsafe airline in the entire world, the Russian airline Aeroflot, to get to the Ukraine. And then when I get to the Ukraine, I have to get on another plane and fly back home. You see, the thing is, is, when you came forward and you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you said, hey, I exercise faith in you, Lord. I have faith that you'll forgive me, Lord. I have faith that you'll be my Lord. You also said, and I will have faith every single day to do the things you call me to do. It's a journey. It's not a one-time thing. It's an everyday thing. So how do we keep from getting stuck? Well, we realize that this is a journey. And no matter where you are, God wants you to go somewhere else. No matter how far you've come, God wants you to go a little bit further. No matter how much you've matured, God wants you to mature a little bit more. Hebrews chapter 11, 1 and 2. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we, we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Maybe it'll help to look at an Old Testament passage that describes this faith. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So you see, we have a choice. Every day we have a choice to be led by our own understanding to be led by what everybody else tells us makes sense, to be led by rationalization and logic and all of that, or we can enjoy this journey, throw caution to the wind, and follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's pushing off at the top of the slide when in your mind there's a hundred reasons why you shouldn't. It's getting on the airplane. When you've watched 34 documentaries on the safety of the Russian air, airline before you go, right? It's doing those things that require faith. And that's what makes it so exciting. That's what makes it so adventurous. You know, I travel around the churches now. I speak to people in little churches and big churches and all over the place. And, and the biggest thing that weighs on my heart, the biggest thing that just breaks my heart is the absolutely mediocre lack of exciting, adventurous journey that Christians are living in their lives today. It's like, come on. This should be the most exciting kind of life in the whole wide world. You should be doing something everybody else says. You can't do that, right? Oh, yes, I can. Why? Because I have faith in the God that called me to do it, that he will give me what I need to make sure it gets done. I was pastor in South Parkersburg Baptist Church, and I, I was praying, and I was listening to people who were giving me advice, and they said, number one, you can't ever pastor a church in your hometown. You can't do that. And I was like, well, God said, yeah, you can, and I came back, and it went pretty well. And then I had this pastor that was a lead pastor for the first seven years I was there. I was associate pastor, and he left, and I hired him back on the staff, and everybody said, you can't hire the other uh, lead pastor back to work on your staff. That won't work. It actually worked really well. Everybody said, you can't hire the pastor that was your mentor growing up back on staff, Lloyd Hamblin. And I said, yeah, I think that'll work okay. And I've prayed about it, and he came on staff. 
He said, you can't build a building and plant a church and start satellites all in the same five years. And I'm like, I think we really can because I feel like God's called us to do that. And we did it. Not because I'm awesome, because I'm about as, as flat as it comes when it's gifts and all that stuff. But there were an awesome group of people in that church that said, you know what? Everybody else says we can't, but God says we can. I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me. It's exciting to me to live that kind of journey. But here's something else we need to realize. We need to realize that this faith journey is not only a journey, but it's a journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're stuck because you always choose a safe way. Maybe you're stuck because you're afraid. Maybe you're stuck because you've been distracted by other realities or maybe other priorities in your life. We need to realize that this faith journey is a journey of faith, not just in your own abilities. Actually, it's not in any of your own abilities. It's not a journey of faith in your lead pastor. It's not a journey of faith in the local church that you serve. This is a journey of faith in the God who created everything around us, including ourselves, and the God who saved us through his son, Jesus Christ. This faith journey is a journey of faith in Jesus Christ. We place our faith in all the wrong things. Our own abilities, our own gifts, our own safety nets, our own traditions, our own leaders, all of those things. But faith that works is faith in the one and only, and his name is Jesus. In Matthew 14, 22 through 31, we see this story. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, and after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? That's why faith is so often talked about as surrender. Why it's so often talked about as full trust. It is allowing God to direct our paths. And it means you have to be in a relationship with him, talking to him, listening to him, and then acting on what he says. Peter is out here. He's scared to death. The disciples are scared to death of the storm. And then they're more afraid of the answer than they are of the storm. They're more afraid of what Jesus might do. They're more afraid of Jesus approaching them. And then Peter says, you know what? Just bid me come on the water if it's really you. And he jumps out and he goes, I have a postcard, had a postcard for years in my office at the church. And it had Peter stepping out of the boat and Jesus out there in the middle of the storm. And all the rest of the disciples are in the boat. And there's a bubble above them that says, we're all behind you, Peter. And they've all got scuba gear on, right? <laughs> and sometimes we feel like that, don't we? But Peter stepped out of the boat. Peter is the one who exercised that faith. Not in anybody else, but in Jesus himself. Faith in others will let you down. Matter of fact, faith in others will destroy you. Faith in others will, if it's your ultimate faith, will mean that you won't come back to church again when a Christian disappoints you with their sinfulness. Faith in others means 
you won't really have the faith you need to have in God Almighty. I was crappie fishing with my brother-in-law one time. He always wanted to drive the boat. My dad has a bass boat. <clears throat> We'd fish up the Little Canoe River outside of Parkersburg. And if you know anything about crappie fishing, you're always looking for a tree that's dropped down in the water. You fish around the brush in the water. <clears throat> Usually you run the boat right up in the tree and tie off to a branch and all this. And so I'd always run up into the tree and he'd set up on the bass seat in front of the boat. He'd kind of ease in and he'd tie us off. And so he said, I want to drive. And I said, that's fine. So I was sitting in beside him and I said, hey, there's a tree over there. Let's go over there. I jump up. I get up on the front of the boat. I sit down on the elevated bass seat on the front of the boat and I'm waving him in, you know, come on in here. Well, if you've ever driven a boat before, you know a boat doesn't have brakes, right? <laughs> to slow a boat down, you have to put it in reverse. And, and uh, so we're going in just at a leisurely 25 mile an hour probably toward the street. And, <laughs> and he turns the motor off instead of putting it in reverse. Now I have like 10 seconds to react and I'm praying, you know, it's kind of like before I fly, I know I'm probably not gonna make it out of this. And we're headed right into this tree this brush, limbs. We had four dozen minnows in a styrofoam mini bucket laying in the middle of the boat. The limb hit me in the chest. I wrapped my hands around it, picked me up over the back of the seat, laid me flat on my back on top of the styrofoam mini bucket, which did not fare well with my weight, <laughs> all over the boat. And the boat just crashes in to the limbs. I looked at him and I said this. I said, you're never going to drive this boat into a brush pile again with me, right? Because people let us down. I'm not saying you don't trust people. Sure, we trust people. I'm not saying everybody's going to let you down. Sure, everybody's not going to let you down. But I am telling you this, some people will. Absolutely, guaranteed, some people will. Jesus never will. This faith journey is a journey of faith in Christ Jesus. But let me tell you this also, and we'll kind of quit on this. This faith journey is a journey of faith in Jesus Christ, lived one step at a time. <clears throat> in Psalms 119.105, it tells us, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. The lights they had back in the psalmist's day weren't these LED lights that shine four miles down the road that we have today. They were lanterns that lit up a couple of steps. This journey is just one step at a time. So many people want to know what's going to happen a year from now. So many people want to know what's going to happen down the road and, 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 Lord, I'll trust you if I know what you're going to do in this marriage. Lord, I'll trust you if I know what you're going to do with this illness I, I'm facing. Lord, I'll trust you if I know what you're going to do with this. Lord, I'll trust you if I know what you're going to do with that. And that's not the way it works. It's, Lord, I'll trust you to tell me the next step to take. Illuminate the next step to take. Two and a half years ago, after three years of prayer and dialogue with a friend of mine who owns a physical therapy business, I left the church I've been at for 26 years. And I left that church to do two things. I was going to work part-time in a physical therapy business. And I was going to be a leadership advisor to a staff of leaders, 105 employees, clinics and athletic performance centers, and industrial contracts in five states. And he was going to pay me a full-time salary so that the other 50% of my time I could spend in churches working with pastors and working with churches and organizational health and that kind of stuff, which is my love and just what I absolutely love to do. 
And I said yes out of, after a lot of prayer. I went to the physical therapy company. In three months of being there, I realized that this very healthy company that had been a very healthy company in the past was on the verge of going, going shut. They're, they were on the verge of bankruptcy. Their employees were not happy. Things were not good. And I sat down and I prayed, and I prayed with the owner, who's a great Christian man. And he looked at me, he said, you know what, I never want to put God's call in your mind. I want you just to follow it, but, but I really feel like I need your help now. And I prayed about it, and I'm like, you know what, I feel like you do too. And I'll, I'll help you. I work here full time. And people say to me, they say, man, it's such a shame that you left the ministry. And I'm like, let me tell you something. I'm doing as much ministry or more ministry at Mountain River Physical Therapy than I ever did at South Parksburg Baptist Church. Because I'm there. Because God called me there. People love working there again, but they also know we pray about decisions we make. They also know our owner is a person of faith. Now, if you would have told me two and a half years ago that I was leaving to spend most of my time working in a secular world, I would have said, no, no way. No way. But God didn't illuminate it that far for me. God illuminated one step that I said yes to, and this is what it's become. What's a dream for your life? You got one? I think it's great to have a dream for your life. I think it's great to have a plan for your life, but I'm here to tell you, if you have faith, that's going to change. God's going to use you differently than you ever imagined you could be used, and probably in a lot more impactive way than you ever thought you could be used. Any of you ever watch Rudolph at Christmas time? Raise your hand. Any of you like Yukon Cornelius? Remember him? Always looking for gold? Nothing, right? He sings that famous song when he has the abominable, his teeth are pulled, and they're in, in the uh, Santa's factory. What's it called? Just put what? One foot. Anybody want to sing it for us? Just put one, I'm not singing it for you. One foot in front of the other, right? That's what God calls us to do. Why did you stop? What has you stuck? Maybe you're afraid. <clears throat> Maybe you got too many distractions in your life, too many priorities over top of Jesus. Maybe you really don't know why. But today's the day for you to start this journey again. It's a journey of faith. It's a journey of faith in Jesus Christ. It's a journey of faith lived one step at a time. Would you pray with me?